Have you ever fallen in love? Have you ever had a crush on someone? Oh, I have. In junior high, it was Shelly. Oh, Shelly. Oh, man. It was like she hung the moon. And I remember just getting all excited just to be around her and next to her and near her. And we could talk on the phone for like hours. And it wasn't even like hours went by as a man that's huge, you know, just talking on the phone. In high school, it was Amy. Amy had blonde hair. Mom's going, Amy, Amy, click, 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 click. I'll tell you the last name after church. Okay, Amy, (laughs) she might be listening. That would really (laughs) freak me out. (laughs) But Amy had blonde hair, and she was a brainiac. She was so smart. She could think like big thoughts. And I remember just being in awe of how smart she was. And I had so had a crush on Amy. And it's weird. It's like you meet this girl and it's like you can't get her out of your head and your stomach's all torn into knots and you have these feelings and there's this like, oh wow, and there's chemistry. And it's like, ah, today I want to talk about where that typically goes, where it typically goes wrong and what to do about it. But before that, before that, Before that, I got to lay some cards out on the table. So, right, if you're single, why should you listen to a 44-year-old married man, right? Okay, so I want to address the elephant in the room, so to speak. Like, Max, you haven't been in the dating scene in like 25 years. What do you know? Okay, well, first of all, I am married. I've been married for 22 years, and I actually still love her. I'd marry her all over again. So if, like, marriage is a goal of yours, I might have something right? Okay. Secondly, I listen, I research, I listen, I watch. As a pastor, I get to hang around all kinds of people who either want to get married or stop being married. I've heard it all and seen it all. And I want to validate something that you're feeling right now. If you're an adult and you're in the marketplace of singles, I want to acknowledge that it's tough out there. Wait a minute, let me say that again. Can I get an amen? It's tough out there. Oh, yeah, amen. Okay? Sociologists, sociologists will talk about sex as a commodity or as a marketplace. And I know some of you are thinking, well, that's kind of rude, but they do. Um, And so uh, to to put this in perspective, uh, oil and corn, if there is not a lot of oil and not a lot of corn available, but lots of people want some, what happens to the price of oil or corn? Where does it go? Where does it go? It goes up. So if there's not a lot of corn or oil and lots of people want it, the price goes up. Now, if a lot of people want it and there's a lot of corn or oil available, what happens to the price? It goes down. And so over the past few decades, the price of sex has actually gone down. It's worth less than it used to be. Why do I say that? Because sociologists will talk about the fact that one in 80% of relationships that hit the five-month mark, right, sex is part of the relationship. So for women that used to say, "Uh uh-uh, you ain't getting the goods till I get the ring, it is harder than it used to be because the price has gone down. In some college campuses, it can be had for a few drinks or for some attention. But for most women, they draw the line at boyfriend-girlfriend. I want to know that it's exclusive just between the two of us, and then it's okay. Because women always determine when sex happens in the United States. 
Guys, this is important to know. All right, I'm reading from a comprehensive stack study, and this is what Tara, a 20-year-old from Louisiana, says. David is so pushy about sex. In the morning, he's like, so roll over. And I'm like, ugh. Like, I like to have sex, but I don't think you should have to have it. The, the sociologist asks her, do you pretty much do it whenever he wants? Her reply, I pretty much do it whenever I want. Kapow! Okay? So again, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, for most women, the line was, I want the ring. I want to know that it's going to end up in marriage. And so today, a larger pool of women have either conceded or whatnot that maybe that's not a goal of theirs, maybe it's okay in the interim, and so the price has gone down. So I want to acknowledge, yep, it's tough. The second reason it's tough has to do with men and porn. And this might be icky for some of you, but I just got to talk about it because sociologists talk about it. There is a certain percentage of men that get their needs met simply through porn. And because they do that, they have concluded that the give and take in a relationship with a real life person is too hard and too difficult. So they have taken themselves out of the marketplace. They're not interested in a boyfriend or a girlfriend because, again, their needs are getting met through their own use of pornography. And so, again, fewer men available, lots of sex available. What happens to the price of sex? It goes down, okay? So that's the marketplace right now. So despite these tough market conditions, right? And these are tough market conditions. Despite that fact, boy still meets girl. And in a Disney-like fashion, it progresses. And so I want to tell the story that is told and retold and retold in couple after couple, relationship after relationship. And I want to see if it has any bearing on people you know or maybe your life. Here's what typically happens. You meet someone else and you think, oh, Ooh, and there's like this connection. And you spend more time together. And then like you spend more time together and you start dating and it's like you can't get them out of your head and you're thinking about them all the time. And then you have these long conversations that go on for hours. And it's like, where did the time go? And then it's like you say something and they complete your sentences. And you're like, whoa, that is so weird. It's like we were made for each other. And all of a sudden, your friends are saying, oh, he's so right for you. And then his friends are going, dude, you need to marry her. She is going to get your butt in gear, okay? That's typically how it plays out. And then the parents are like, oh, man, it's like they're right for each other, right? And this is how it plays out. And it's, it's just weird. And, and you conclude, you're like, OMG, I must have found the right person, I was looking for the right person all along and I was hoping the right person would come into my life. And I knew if I just found the right person, we would get married and live happily ever after. Oh, you've heard of this story. It goes on. So what typically happens is um, they will think to themselves, this is amazing. This is electrifying. I know for certainty that my mom and dad did not have this. I'm pretty sure that grandma and grandpa didn't have this. In fact, I think, I think our love must be the one true love of the universe. I don't think anybody's ever felt this way. And some of you that are really educated are like, dude, read Romeo and Juliet for crying out loud, okay? But still, you, 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 the, those thoughts come into the thing. And so after three, six months or whatnot, you move in together, you get married at some point. If you're really lucky, you get married. And three to six months after the wedding, somewhere after the wedding, you start having relationship problems. 
Because as Andy Stanley says, you're in a relationship. <laughs> and, and, and because of those relationship problems, all the chemistry stuff, all those magical feelings start to go away. They start to diminish. And guys think, I know what will fix this. More sex. We have more sex. It's the feelings are going to go back up. It's awesome. And the girls are thinking, ah, no way. Fix it and then you get sex, right? And so you've got this thing that plays out in this relationship. And, and so the girls will often go, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're, we're so disconnected. I know what will bring us together. We'll have a baby. Oh, you've heard this story too. And so they have a baby, and, and she pitches the idea to the guy, and the guy's thinking, well, I'm not so keen on bringing a kid into the world, but I know how you get kids, so okay. I mean, trying will be fun. And so, boom, she's pregnant, and she has a baby. And in that mist of pregnancy and sickness and hormones and feedings, again, the sex tends to get diminished. And wouldn't you know, the guy at work or on Facebook runs into Sharon Sharon that he went to the high school prom with? Oh my goodness, I can't believe it's you. I know, I can't believe it's you too. And then they, they get into a long conversation and it's like they connected and it's like she totally understood him and his circumstances. It's like, you're married now. He's like, yeah, I know, I'm married now. And well, how's that going? Oh man, it's just, it's really hard and it's like we're fighting all the time and, and now we got this little baby. I mean, I love the baby and all, don't get me wrong, but it's like, you know, it's just like we're not connected. She's like, oh man, I so get that. You know, and boom, all of a sudden these feelings come up and it's like they could talk for hours and then boom, they're naked and they do the naked stuff. And I know some of you are like, that dog, how could he? He just had a baby with her. I know, but in that moment, in that moment, he looks at his wife and what does he think to himself? Oh my goodness, I married the wrong person. And that's how the story plays out. It's as though this has been scripted for us in America and we all follow the script and the script is flawed. It's flawed. There's gotta be a better way to do this. And I would say there is. There's a better way than letting your feelings and chemistry make all of your relationship decisions. And I wanna talk about that today. And it starts with you. It starts with me. As a pastor, I told you, I get to be with couples when they want to get married, and I get to be, get, be with couples when they want to get divorced. And I hear all kinds of stories. And when divorce is on the table, I got to tell you that it's usually not relationship problems, like how you squeeze the toothpaste or, I mean, how you keep your house. I mean, those are kind of relationship problems. It's usually personal problems that one or both of them brought into the marriage, and because they didn't have those addressed, it becomes a kind of marriage problem, a deal breaker. Let me give you a couple examples. Woman says, he has had five jobs in four months. The guy is a hothead. He goes off, flies off at the mouth, and he gets fired, and he's done this five times, and I'm sick of it. And he does the same thing to me. It's like he's Mr. Hothead. And I don't know what his problem is, but I'm done. I want out of this. I don't want to deal with this anymore. Or he says some version of, you know, we got married and I thought I would come first, but she's always spending time with her mom. She's always asking her mom what her mom's opinion is. I mean, we can't even buy diapers without her mom giving the okay. I'm sick and tired of this. I want out. And again, those two people, they're not talking about relationship problems. They're talking about 
personal problems that somebody had prior to the relationship, only now because they're in a relationship, the other person is on the receiving end of their personal issues. Does this make sense? And this happens time and time again. So what does the Bible say about this? Does the Bible say anything about singleness? Actually, it does. And is there any kind of advice that God would give for somebody who's single and wants to be married? Yep, there is. And I want to wade through that this morning. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to be back in that weird chapter, right, from 1 Corinthians. I call it the weird chapter because there's just a bunch of weird stuff in it, right? That's just the case. But we'll throw the first few verses on the screen, verses 7, 8, and 9. Paul says this. I wish everyone were single. That's in the Bible. I know. Isn't that weird? I wish everyone were single, just as I am. But God gives to some the gift of marriage and to others the gift of singleness. So I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. But if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. It's better to marry them than burn with lust. Bible doesn't say anything about finding the right person, finding the right college, the right city, the right job, but it has tons of advice about becoming the person that God wants you to be. And it talks about singleness right here. Paul is saying something profound about single. And I want you singles to hear this. You're normal. It's okay. I know culturally, everything in America and church life tends to go, well, married people are just better off. Here, right on the pages of Scripture, what is the apostle saying? I wish you were like who? Me. I'm single. Wish you were single just like me. And this is profound, and you need to understand what Christians did in world history. Up to this point, in most societies, you weren't normal if you weren't married and had kids. You had no honor if you did not have a ring and children under your name. And Christians did something unique in world history. Christians began supporting widows, people whose husbands died. Did you know that Emperor Augustus actually instituted a Roman law that if you were a widow and did not remarry within two years, you were fined each year. So the Roman perspective was, your husband's died, come on, let's go, let's go, get remarried, come on, find a man, let's go, find a man, let's go, find a man, let's go. Christians came in and said, we'll support you the rest of your life. Which meant that for women, they could now choose whether they wanted to be single or married. Profound shift in world history, okay? Christians instituted it. And it's because of these things. The other thing that Christians did, because of Paul in these statements in Corinthians, it validated singleness as a way of life. And I'm going to talk about that, but if you are here today and the whole married thing is not a goal of yours, that's not something that you're even interested in, I want to affirm that and say, hey, that's normal and okay. And the Bible affirms it right here in the pages. All right, Paul goes in and says some other things in verses 25, 26, 27, 28. And this is what he says. Now, regarding your question about the young women who are not yet married, I don't have a command from the Lord for them, but the Lord in his mercy has given me wisdom so that, that, uh, so that uh, can be trusted, and I'll share it with you. Because of the present crisis, I think it best to remain as you are. If you have a wife, don't seek to end the marriage. If you don't have a wife, don't seek to get married. But if you do get married, it's not a sin. And if a young woman gets married, it's not a sin. However, those married at this time will have troubles, and I'm trying to spare you those problems. All right? Uh, this is the one place in the Bible where you get 
someone saying, now this isn't from God, this isn't a command, this is just my opinion. That's what he's saying right there, if we get those verses on the screen. Um, that first section, um, now regarding the question about young women, I don't have a command from the Lord, but the Lord in his mercy has given me wisdom. What Paul is saying is, hey, this is my opinion, all right? So if you don't like this, or you don't agree with this, relax, it's Paul's opinion, it's okay. So Paul is saying, look, remain as you are. If you're single, stay single. If you're engaged, follow through and get married. If, if you're married, stay married. And the key is the present crisis. There, there's trouble going on. Think what it would be like to be in Syria right now or what it would have been like to have been in Germany in 1944. If you're in a, you know, if you got that, oh, I love you, I love you too, what do you do in that context? That's kind of the advice that he's giving, right? And so, uh, but I find it interesting, the last little part, those who get married at this time will have what? Those who get married will have what? And all the married people said, amen. amen. Did you hear that, single people? Right? Okay? So biblically speaking, singleness is okay. Some, now some people... You may be, feel like you're called to be single, and that's good, and today I want to affirm that. Now, if you're single and this is your attitude, yeah. Because of him, because of her, yeah, I am going to be single until the Lord returns. That's called a personal issue. <laughs> and that needs some work, right? Because that's not being single for Jesus, that's being single to save your heart from heartache. And that's personal issue, okay? And we'll get into that in a minute. So... If you're single and you actually want to get married and you're open to relationships, what advice would the Bible have for you? And I think right out of Galatians chapter 5, God would say something to you today, All right? And this is what God would say, and it's Galatians chapter 5, uh, verse 16, and then verses uh, uh, 19 and following. This is what Paul says. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your life. Let the Holy, and you're like, well, duh, no, 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 hear me out. Let the Holy Spirit guide your life. If you let the Holy Spirit guide your life, the Holy Spirit will produce in you fruit. And the fruit that the Spirit produces in you will benefit all relationships that you have and most especially any relationship you might have with a husband or a wife. Get this. He, lists a, uh, he has a list of things that characterize lives that are not led by the Spirit. And he, and he says this, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, selfish ambition, dissension, division. Do any of those sound attractive to you? Forgetting the whole right and wrongness for a moment. Does anybody hear that list and go, man, I'd love to have more of that in my life? No, right? Paul says, on the other hand, if you're led by the Spirit, what does that spirit produce in you and toward others? It produces these things. Let's go to this second set of verses there. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in your life. Um, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All right, let's just take some of those. Love. The Bible tells us how God defines love. Here is love, not that we love God, but that God loved us first, even while we were unlovable. Jesus showed love to his church by dying on a cross and giving himself up for her. 
And so love in the Bible is sacrificial. Love in the Bible is other-oriented. All right, let's look at the next one. Uh, Peace, or actually joy. The next one is joy. That's an inner gladness in who God is and what he has done and what God is going to do. Discontentment is an indicator that there's not joy, right? If you find yourself in a relationship going, well, you know, if we could just get to the point when... Well, you know, if the kids, when the kids are a little older, then I'll enjoy life. Well, you know, if we could just get out of this apartment and into a house, you know, those, those kind of, you know, my life will be better when, my life will be better if statements. There's, it's an indicator there's no joy, all right? The next one, peace. Uh, peace is caring more about the other person than winning an argument. Caring more about their emotional state, their feelings, than having the last word or being right. Peace. All right? Patience, never pressuring the other person, not peppering them with, why don't you? Why can't you? I don't understand. You need to. Pressure, pressure, pressure. That's not patience. Self control. Some of you are like, yeah, if my dad had had self control, mom and dad would still be married. I know. Right? Let me ask you a question. Regarding your parents' marriage, do you think it would have been better if your dad had shown your mom? Love the way Christ loved the church sacrificially? Do you think your parents' marriage would have lasted if your dad had been patient with your mom and not be peppering her with, well, why can't you have dinner on the table? Why can't you do this? Why don't you do that? Do you think your uh, parents' marriage would have been better if your dad cared more about your mom than winning an argument and had peace in his life? Or let me flip it around. Do you think your parents' marriage would have been better or would have lasted if mom would have not totally, completely nagged him all the time of, well, why can't you, you know, be more romantic like those guys on TV? And I was watching Dr. Phil, and how's come you don't? Boom, boom. Do you think your parents' marriage would have been a little better? Yeah. See, God made men and women and knows how they best work together. Everyone mistakenly thinks the Bible's just this bunch of rules, but the Bible presents a way of living that's truly living, that's better living, that's a, that's a life that is lived to its fullness in freedom. That's what Jesus came to do, and that's what a life lived in the Spirit does. All right? So let me ask you a question, you single people who are adults. If you're single, if you're an adult, would you be willing to set aside the myth of the right person? Would you be willing to stop waiting around for the right person to come along and rescue you and have you live happily ever after and instead begin working on you and becoming the person that God wants you to be? Would you be willing to do that? Because I know if you become the person that God wants you to be, one, all of us are going to be, man, I'm proud of you. And secondly, you become a catch, do you not? If you've got that fruit and that's you and that characterizes your life, lucky is the person who comes across your path. Andy Stanley puts it this way, you should become the person you're looking for is looking for. He's right. You may need to think about that for a moment. You should become the person you're looking for is looking for. All right, so here's some practical advice from your Uncle Max. One, deal with personal issues and bad habits now. Deal with personal issues and bad habits now. So many people, again, have unresolved issues with their parents. Boom. And their childhood. Boom. And it comes out and it manifests itself in all kinds of different ways. When you get married, here's what happens. If your parents are over here 
and there's these issues. Guess who catches it? Spouse. Spouse. Here's the phrase that's the telltale giveaway. All I said was, we need to be on time. All I said was, I, we, you know, we just need to have dinner more consistently. All I said was, boom. And they just blew up. Yeah, it's because there's unresolved issues. And you just happen to be on the receiving end of it. All right? So if you've got some drama, if you've got some angst, and I know some of you be like, well, I don't have any angst. I sent my mom a card on Mother's Day. Okay, that's angst if you can't even talk to her, right? There's an issue. <laughs> so deal with issues and bad habits now. Some of you who are 18 and 19, you may not be aware of what some of these are. Trust me, your parents are. If you were to say, mom, dad, if I were to get in a relationship, what, is, what are one or two things that you'd be like, oh, man, you need to work on? They could tell you. They don't even have to think about it. I'm just saying, all right? Second piece of advice, postpone the physical as long as possible. Postpone the physical as long as possible. And last week I talked about what sex was for and why it's best when it's channeled in marriage, all right? Uh, no one has ever said to me as a pastor, gee, I wish we had gotten physical quicker. No one has ever gone and said to me, Max, I just, w I don't look back on my own life and go, man, if only Jenny and I had really started making out after the third week, you know, I, I just don't have those things. I wish I had held her hand, right? I wish I had kissed her a little sooner, but, you know, the making out that happened before we got married, oh yeah, I could have, you know, I don't wish we had started that early on, right? No one ever remembers that. And remember, self-control, if you lack self-control before you're married, there's a greater chance you'll lack self-control when you're married, right? Because self-control is a road. Remember we talked about highways? Everyone thinks they're going to go one place, but it's the road you're on that determines where you end up. Self-control's a road, and it always goes to the same destination, all right? So uh, last piece of advice, and this is especially for those of you that go to college, get out of debt, get out of debt, get out of debt, get out of debt, avoid debt, get out of debt. Why? Because I meet so many couples, and they've got these dreams and things that they want to do, and she's got $56,000, and he's got $35,000, and she's got $6,500 on a credit card, and he's got $11,500 on a credit card, and a car payment, and they think by the time they're 30, they're going to be somewhere. No, you're going to be going, ah, okay, get out of debt, all right? Now, I want to answer a typical objection, right? And this comes up along the time, and this is common wisdom today. Well, shouldn't you test drive? I mean, you know, I mean, shouldn't you make sure, you know, you're like sexually compatible and relationally compatible? I mean, that's why we want to move in together. That's why we, you know, kind of did that thing. I mean, I, I just want to know, right? And this is common wisdom today. Allow me to answer that objection if I can. I have several reasons why I think that's bad advice. One, I know you're compatible. I've known too many guys that have cheated on their husbands and too many wives that have cheated on, or too many wives that have cheated on their husbands. <laughs> You got it. And too many husbands that have cheated on their wives. They're always compatible. No one's ever come to me and gone, you know, we went to the doctor. We're not compatible. It's never happened. So I can tell you ahead of time, you're compatible. Wink, wink. All right? <laughs> Secondly, this analogy breaks down because we all assume that when we're test driving, that we're the driver. Think about this for a minute. If there are two of you one of you gets to be the driver, the other person gets to be the car with 125,000 miles on it and it's a three owner. No one thinks of themselves as the car. 
we all like to think of ourselves as the driver. But again, right, if you're test driving, there's not two test drivers. One's the driver, one's the car. You think about that for a minute, all right? Lastly, if the test drive fails, if after moving in together, you have to move out, if the relationship breaks down and you're emotionally, spiritually, and physically bonded, it hurts like crazy. No one ever, and when a relationship like that breaks up, goes, man, I'm so glad I did that. No, they're like, you know, and I will never, and then they have these resolves, you know, I'm going to be single for life, and I'm going to, you know, because of the pain and hurt of having their heart ripped out and stomped on, all right? So here's why this is important. One, what you do today affects tomorrow. The decisions that you make today uh, affects tomorrow. This is the way Chen put it in, the, in this sex study. I love what Chen says. He's a 20-year-old from, from Illinois, and this is what he says about marriage. You know, I don't want to die alone. That's the number one thing. It's like, especially after I'm, I'm done living my life, that would be like the worst thing for me. I think I'd like to have a kid eventually, but there's always time for that later on. I'll settle with a kid when I'm 40, 45. The time to live a selfish life is while you're young. And the time to live a giving life is when you're older, when you have kids. I'd rather live for myself while I have the time to. As a pastor, I look at that and I go, that's a path. If you're selfish now and you're the number one thing in your life, it's unlikely that suddenly when you turn 40, you're going to be altruistic and be so other-oriented that your wife's going to go, thank you, Chen, for marrying me. No, it's probably going to be bad. All right? So what you do today affects tomorrow and no one anticipates that what they do relationally and sexually will show up in marriage but it always does as a pastor i know this it always does all right and second reason why this is important for those of you that are 18 or 19 by the time you figure this stuff out you're 35 or 40 and you've lost a lot of time so i wanted to give you a jump start so that you had some of these things and so you i free you up go back to the dorm rooms and say you're not going to believe this but the whole right person thing that's a myth what? Yes, I know. There's no right person out there. What? Oh! Mass panic will ensue. I mean, they'll be ringing the bell at Asbury. Ding, 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 ding. Special chapel. There's no right person. Oh! Run away. Okay. Okay? Here's what you should do if you're single. Spend your time and energy becoming the person God wants you to be. You will have the fruit of the Spirit manifesting itself in your life and you will become a person worth marrying and if you simply hold the standard of who you are to the other person it bodes well for your married life the best way to prepare for marriage is actually not to do what married people do it's to get yourself and become the person god wants you to be